Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast about liturgy, sacraments, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. Um, I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, catechist at Logan Square Anglican Church in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm here, as always, with the canon theologian of our diocese, Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome, Father Stephen. Good afternoon, Alex. Yeah, we're recording on a uh, unseasonably warm um, November afternoon here in <laughs> yeah, Oak Park, say. Illinois. It's really nice, though. Um, the leaves are beautiful. Um, and actually, uh, colors, the fall colors kind of connects to what I want to talk about today, because when I started going to Anglican churches for the first time, um, I noticed that the colors changed throughout the year, uh, kind of like, uh, almost like leaves change throughout the seasons. Um, I would walk into service one day and it would be uh, green. And then a few weeks, months later, uh, there were purple ribbons and banners everywhere. And then after purple, we'd go back to to green again for a little while. Once in a while, we'd get a white day um, and then maybe one or two where everything is red. Um, and I came to learn that every, that this was connected to something called the liturgical calendar and that actually there was, um, there was a pattern to all of this. And so, yeah, let me just ask you, what is the liturgical calendar and, and where does it come from? Well, maybe it's easier to tell where, where it comes from. It's a pattern of worship that we follow. Okay. And there are different seasons. There are different seasons and there are great days. Like everyone knows about Christmas, for example, or Easter. There are great feasts. There are seasons built around those feasts. Okay. And it gives sort of, you know, just as in secular life, you know, we have, you know, think of football season or basketball season. Like they're just, uh, they're basically seasons that, uh, in the year. Okay. What, what are all those seasons in the liturgical calendar? Well, we uh, start out the year with, with Advent, uh, we go to the Christmas season, then the Epiphany season, then Lent, and then we have something called Eastertide, which goes from Lent all the way to Pentecost. Oh, okay. All right. And that takes us roughly from, how, from maybe like late November to late March? Right, pretty much. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the full arc. That's what we would call in the church, we call that the seasonal calendar. Mm-hmm. We also have a sanctoral calendar we can talk about of why do we recognize, remember certain saints on certain days. Oh, okay. So there's actually two calendars in parallel. Two calendars, there's, right. All right. The So the seasonal one and then the sanctoral one. Right. Great. Well, let's talk about the seasonal one first. Mm-hmm. Where, um, where does that whole idea come from? Well, in the beginning, Alex, it might surprise you, there was no calendar because the idea was that every Sunday, the Lord's Day, was the was the celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus the central core of our faith every Sunday every Sunday was equal every Sunday was simply the celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus you know here's maybe an interesting question that maybe it connects to the liturgical calendar but where did the idea of worshiping on Sunday even come from in the first place well we have very early records of course we're talking about the Lord's Day in the book of Revelation but the in the early church fathers you know in, in early documents um, for example, the Didache and the like, is it was commemoration of the Lord's resurrection. Again, the central fact of, of the faith is the death and resurrection of Jesus. They call it a new creation, this eighth day. You know, it's the, the beginning of a whole new week, a whole new world in him. And so the idea is we began worshiping on Sunday, you know, as our, rather than Saturday, as was the custom among the Jews. So that's where we have the idea of Sunday being the, the day the Lord rose. The world changed. A new world began. So Sunday came from that idea that, uh, you know, that, once a week, you know, just as the Jews met once a week, you know, to celebrate the, the creation, is that we celebrate the new creation. 
we celebrate the, the, the creation was celebrated with its completion when God saw it was very good on the Sabbath. We celebrate the new creation with the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Okay, so Sunday. Um, so, okay, so we started out, there was no calendar. Um, how did things proceed from there? Well, one thing is, think about it. Even when somebody loses, uh, let's say, their Christian faith, they're raised in a home that's vaguely Christian, let's say, lose the faith. One thing that's hard to go, for example, would be Christmas. You know, Christmas is a big holiday. I think those kind of things are big things. It's true. It's it's kind of died hard uh, in the West. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happens? Or we will we'll change meanings and things. Well, what happened with with Jews, who are many of the earliest Christians were in fact Jewish communities, especially in um, in Asia Minor, is people. This Passover was a huge celebration. It's a, a critical point in the Jewish year, and of course, the epistles tell us that you know the Passover is really a, a foreshadowing of Jesus. He's our Paschal Lamb, right? Christ Christ or Paschal Lamb is sacrificed, says Paul, right? We're told that this this great event in Jewish history is a foreshadowing of the great events that take place in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the um, there's a strong urge to celebrate this in a whole new way as Jewish Christians, to celebrate the annual Passover feast as a quintessential feast of the resurrection. As somehow also suggesting the resurrection of Christ. Right, being, re, being celebrating those things in the light of the resurrection like of giving Jesus. giving it that added meaning. Exactly. Okay. Or, 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 yeah, that added meaning, the fullness, the foreshadowing. The fullness of the meaning. Yeah. And the fullness. Now, there were some debates with that. First, some people thought it wasn't right to have why we celebrate the Lord's death and resurrection every Sunday. Why have a separate feast? What, what, what's the need for mm-hmm. it? But a second issue was... Uh, the Jewish feast of Passover can fall on any day of the week. And people thought it was either a, a d- debate, but eventually the church believed it should be the Sunday of Sundays. It should always be a Sunday. So it would always be the first day of the week. So the first question is, should we have a special day since every Sunday it does this? They said, yes, I have a special day, but that ought to be one of the Sundays as opposed to a different day. And that's where we got uh, got Easter. Easter Sunday. Okay. So it's a, a very special Passover to... It's the Sunday of Sundays, the yeah. quintessential Sunday. Okay. Yeah. So that's where Easter comes from. Um, so where where do we get Christmas? Well, uh, again, once we think about, okay, the, the Lord's, you know, death and resurrection, that's made possible. Remember Jesus in John's gospel says, you know, it's hard when he's talking about facing the cross. He's saying, he says to his, his apostle, he said, what am I to ask God? How can I pray? Because let this pass. He said, this is the whole reason I've come into the world. So the mystery of the death and resurrection of Christ begins at his birth, his incarnation. And so the church began to see that sort of as the, the other pole, basically the, the rest of the story. And uh, so this is the origin uh, of Christmas, which largely starts uh, in the West and is eventually taken by the Eastern Church. Okay, so it starts with we have a, a special kind of holiday to celebrate East, his his resurrection, his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. So we should have another one to celebrate his incarnation. Incarnation, right? Okay, wow. Why do we celebrate Christmas on December the twenty fifth? Where did that come well, from? Well, for a long time, people would argue that we were trying that the motivating force, and they might be right, was there was a great Roman festival, you know, the winter solstice, uh, the the unconquered sun, the Sol Invictus. More like recent, a pagan it was festival. a big holiday, and it sort of to Christianize, basically to give a Christian meaning, uh, you know, to this to okay. to Christianize meaning. I think a more persuasive argument recently has been in the ancient world. It's amazing some sort of folk feelings, uh, customs, is people believe the great men were actually conceived on the day they died. 
And so traditionally, uh, it was thought that Christ, you know, with again, with the um, with the dating of Easter, you know, in March, is that if we counted back nine, you know, if we went forward from nine months from there, we get to December. So it's more probably is that we figured out, well, gee, if he died and this is just a way, not that they believed it happened that way, but it was a common way to come up with a number. Is it a great man? uh, As the thought had was conceived on the day he he died Uh is to go forward and choose that date. I think that's probably a more persuasive reason. But in any event, we ended up having, you know, December 25th as being as being Christmas. And then we had the March uh, feast with the resurrection, Easter. Oh, okay, great. So those are the two poles. It's really Christmas. Those are the two poles. I should mention one other thing is in the Eastern Church, instead of focusing uh, nearly as much initially on the incarnation, they focused on the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, his baptism. And that became the epiphany, the the, the great feast of the the manifestations, what the word epiphany means. And what happened is they looked at Christmas from the West and said, that's a pretty good idea. And we looked at epiphany from the East. So we ended up with both and both churches. (laughs) But Christmas basically comes from the Roman West and the epiphany comes from the Greek speaking East. And they were sort of shared and both churches now have both feasts. Oh, okay, great. Uh, So so there's been kind of some cross-pollination there. Oh, very much so. Okay, got it. Um, so tell me about Lent. Where does Lent come from? Well, once we know that the quintessential, um, season for the, the death and resurrection is, is going to, is uh, the feast is going to be, um, is Easter. People prepare to be baptized and the big time for baptism was on Easter. Okay. And the idea for, for this, you had to have a special, that was a long period of time, typically two to three years. They had to learn the Bible, for example, when it was genuine Gentiles. And again, this was very difficult in a preliterate world. You couldn't just read the books and things as people actually would do that by coming to the assembly. They'd actually come and see the first part of the Eucharist. They would have the, the readings we would have, those kind of readings, and they'd have a sermon. That's how they learned the Bible. Wow. They'd also have to sort of turn their lives around. In the ancient world, there were a lot of there were a lot of professions and things people did that were incompatible with being Christians. For example, you couldn't be a slave trader and be a Christian. And so they had things that people have to sort of clean up their lives. And so they would have, they would do this for a few years. They'd have actually what later became a baptismal sponsor is they would have somebody who would sort of guide them through the process. And when they got to the point where they were really ready to be baptized as a Christian, they would be enrolled. And the idea is what you needed. You wanted 40 days of fasting before Easter, but there's a problem with that. You know, you can't fast on a Sunday. For think of this, you can't go to a wedding and be on a diet, can you? A dishonor. You can't go in, you can't go and say, hey, I'm not going to eat the wedding, but I'm on a diet. That's just not, it's not right for the occasion. You can't on a day of joy. So the tradition was that we couldn't fast on a Sunday. Well, let's do the math. If six weeks times six days is 36, how do we get 40 days of fasting? We'll count back. Saturday. Friday, Thursday, Wednesday. That's how we get Ash Wednesday. Oh, so you just tack on those four days. Tack, that's how we get 40 days of fasting. Okay. And so it would be basically when the, when the sponsors say, hey, these folks are ready, they would be enrolled. They're saying, we're now ready to actually become a Christian. And what would happen at the time was neat is people in the, uh, were never allowed to see the service beyond what we call the liturgy of the word. After the sermon, basically, people had to leave. And there are two things people who weren't Christians never knew. They didn't know what the creed, the Apostles' Creed was. That was secret? That was secret. Wow. Uh, and they also did not, the famous pearls before swine, you know, they, uh, and they also did not know the Lord's Prayer. Hmm. Those were the two. And so what would happen is they would have something called the traditio. That means, Latin means handing over. So when you were formally enrolled, is that they would give you the, the Apostles' Creed, for example, and the Our Father, and they teach them to you. 
And then at your actual baptism, that's when we use that creed. We're saying, I've studied this now. I'm ready to make it my own. We give it back. They call it the reditio, the giving back. They handed it over to you on Ash Wednesday, and then you gave it back at your baptism. So this is how we ended up with this 40-day period. And it would be, it would be prayer, and pra- prayer and fasting. And people didn't want just these people who were being welcomed into the community. Is We weren't just going to have them pray and fast. All of us together as a church prayed and fasted with them. And that's uh-huh. where the idea of Lent. And again, the uh, penitential idea. So remember, Peter says, you know, um, on the day of Pentecost, when people say, what do we do? He says, you know, he says, you know, repent and be baptized. So the idea that we repent, we have to sort of rethink our lives is what creates that penitential character of penance, of repentance that we think of with Lent, evidenced by the color purple. Okay, got it. So it, so Lent was almost kind of like this final runway for people the to final ready runway. To enter the church, right. and that the whole church participated with them in that fasting preparation. Exactly, and then they would be welcomed into the fellowship on at their baptism on on Easter Sunday. Wow. So this isn't just kind of like a a, a sort of nice time for you to feel a certain way in the church. Something is actually happening. Something was actually happening. And to this day, we still have baptisms on, um, on Easter and people at the great Easter vigil, you know, yeah. uh, we have baptisms. Yeah. Wow. So Lent is right before Easter, but we also have kind of a, 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 a preparatory few weeks before Christmas Advent. Where does that come from? Well, it's actually sort of an imitation of Lent in the sense we have this preparation for this great feast of, you know, of Easter. Well, since the the Feast of the Incarnation is so important, shouldn't we do something similar? And so the Western Church, we ended up with basically a four-week period prior to the Christmas. But there's a difference. Even though we use purple, the the feeling is not penance. You know, it's basically more of expectation. Uh, you know, so the theory, the, the theme is hope of expectation. I have a question there. If Jesus has already come, if you, his incarnation has already happened, then is why why do we act like we're anticipating it again? Is that the idea of Advent? Uh, because we are. That's okay. exactly the point. The Old Testament, we understand the New Testament. You're right. We're not pretending we're waiting for baby Jesus to come. He's come. But the point, he will also return. And so the foreshadowing, just as Israel waited for the, waited for the Messiah to come, we are in exactly their position, we're, waiting for the Messiah to come back. We're waiting for him again, and so the, the second coming. Right, and the fathers talked about the two, the two advents, the, two, the word advent means coming, adventus in Latin, so the two comings of Christ. And actually, at least one of the fathers talks about a third coming. How do we prepare for the second coming? By a third coming, Christ into our hearts. Mm. So the, that was the idea that we prepare ex- expectantly. I've heard it more compared. I like this comparison. It's like instead of penance, it's more imagine two people are, go- are going to be married, but let's say one's, uh, she's finishing her studies in Europe or something, and he's still here. And they know when they get back together, they will be married. It's this wonderful thing of expectation. Gee, in a, you know, in a while, very soon we're going to be married. But until then, that sense of, it's not penance, but this tremendous expect, expectant waiting. And that's why, by the way, the first Sunday of Advent, and every year we have a three-year cycle, always begins with uh, the predictions of the end of the world to remind us that, hey, we're not pretending we're waiting for baby Jesus. It's telling us something about how they waited and how we wait for his second coming. Wow, wow. Okay, so that's Advent. Um. So after all of this is is over, we've got um, 
Pentecost, right? Well, actually what happened is once people got this idea of building on based on numbers, uh, they said, well, gee, we know that the Lord Jesus uh, ascended to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. And we also know the Holy Spirit descended on the 50th day, Pentecost, right? The, you know, the, the 50th day, the week of weeks. And so by the week of seven times, seven weeks, 40 nights to get 50th day. Right. And so the idea was they added that on and that really completes the seasonal. So we go all the way from the first Sunday of Advent, all the way to Pentecost, which completes the Easter season. And something that's interesting, Alex, is, you know, we said Lent is this preparation to be baptized. But you know how modern foreign language training is, there used to be a time people learn a lot of grammar and then sort of actually trying to put sentences together. It didn't work very well. And so most modern foreign language training is you actually have people working with the language and then they step back and finding, hey, why am I saying what I'm saying? You're starting to see patterns. So they sort of experience the language first before they learn all the rules? Exactly. Okay. And that's exactly, they had a, a period they called mystagogy, teaching what had just happened to you the fullness of that. Uh. And that would happen in the Easter season that immediately followed in the time after Easter. The time before Easter was repentance, you know, prayer, fasting, preparing, you know, making that creed our own, you know, and, and learning the Lord's prayer. But the, like, the time after that would be devoted to this special understanding of what baptism was, the, the Eucharist, the first time they received communion, what that was. We have some wonderful examples. For example, Cyril of Jerusalem or Ambrose of Milan. We have very ancient, uh, their teachings from this time. The catechetical lectures from Cyril right. of Jerusalem. Right. I've read that and I would absolutely recommend it to, to anyone listening. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. Yeah, so the, Ambrose, is, uh, these are, they're called mystagogies, but again, that's the, the complete cycle. So it didn't end at Easter. It's now, now that we've experienced this, you now we can learn more about it. Continuing to learn yeah. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like that Rosetta Stone software yeah, that helps good. you learn a language where you, they, they don't exactly tell you the rules of what you're listening to. They just have you start associating like phrases with pictures and things like that. And you learn the meanings as you go. And then you see the patterns later on after yes. the fact, you see the patterns. Okay. So that's, so that's Pentecost. So, um, one thing on Easter though, um, is that another thing I discovered when I first started coming to Anglican churches that surprised me was that Easter was not just one day. Um, it, there were several days, several really special days leading up to Easter. There was Palm Sunday. Um, there was uh, Holy Thursday or Maundy Thursday. Um, there was the Saturday in between. Then, of course, good or there's there's Good Friday, um, Holy Saturday, and, and then, then Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. Um, and yeah, and and we kind of had that in the church that I came from, but really in the Anglican Church, it was a big to do, and it was seemed to be something that was was really really looked forward to every year. It, where where does it come from to have all of of those services stretched out together instead of just having one feast day being Easter? Well, actually, it came from tourism. Is Christian tourism? Tourism. That's right. Christian pilgrims would make the, this long, very arduous trip to go to the Holy Land. For example, one of the uh, early uh, a woman named Egeria, she came from Spain, wrote a wonderful journal of her experiences, what happened when they when pilgrims got there. But you know, when you've been traveling all those weeks or months to to get to this place, is one day, you know they sort of wanted to stretch it out, and so a custom became of trying to reproduce the last week in the life of Jesus on the sites. You know, oh, okay. so they would start out. Well, gee, we, um, you know, we know that here's where Palm Sunday was. Sort of, sort of relived the last week of the life of Jesus. So they ended up spreading out what would have been just over the whole week. And so what we have, and that's why we have Good Friday, 
you know, be, you know, we have uh, the Holy Thursday, and actually the, those last three we have a, we call it the Triduum, the Great Three Days. Starting it starts with Holy Thursday in the evening, and it ends on the morning with you know it ends on Easter Sunday, the Great Three Days. And something interesting to remind us this is all originally one service. Is starting with it's one service over three days. Actually, even though we have these breaks, we don't have a dismissal. If you look at our liturgy, normally we have, and liturgy ends, it tells us it's over, like, let us bless the Lord, thanks be to God, yeah, or, go, go forth in now. the world in peace, the uh-huh. love and serve the Lord. Uh, or, uh, you know, in Latin, they used to say uh, in the Western church, ite misa est, go now, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where the word mass comes from. Uh, but we don't do that because it reminds us it's all one. You can't, because the, the theory of the church was, or its theology is, the death and resurrection of Christ are inseparable. Mm-hmm. They're one mystery. Mm-hmm. And so we're just, we're just, we're just celebrating it over a longer period, but it's one feast starting with that, the last supper, you know, that we have an, on the evening of Maundy Thursday. Wow. So it's all one service. And all the way to Easter. This, you know, Easter sort of begins that way. That one, that one, every Sunday we commemorate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so Good Friday and Easter Sunday are not, sometimes people think they're the opposite. No, they're, they're absolutely intrinsically connected. Okay, wow. But it began with people having kind of like tour, like yes, tour, I'm, I wish that it was tourism. People were there and they wanted to do it and they wanted to, to see the sites and have and have a systematic way to see them spend. You know, today's Monday; it must be that type of thing. Yes. Okay, man, that's really fascinating. That's all the time we have for today's episode. We're going to leave off this week and be back next week for part two of our discussion on the liturgical calendar. Thanks for listening to Word and Table.